A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Happy holidays, everyone. Welcome to I Was There Too, the show where I, Matt Gorley, talk to people who were there in the great scenes of cinema and sometimes even television history, as you will find today. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, may you have a festival of lights. The point is, all of those holidays are really just a thin excuse for us to get together with our beloved kin out of the shadow of the empire and celebrate the real and only true holiday of the season, and that's the Wookiee Life Day. And we're going to do just that today as we talk to a wonderful man, Larry Hyder, cameraman for the entire shoot of the infamous and wonderful Star Wars Holiday Special from 1978. It was on CBS one time. It's never since been officially released or really even recognized by Lucas himself or Lucasfilm. It's sort of the Tibet to Lucas's China. But I saw this thing when it aired, when I was a kid. I barely remember it, but there's no way I would have missed this thing. I lived and breathed Star Wars. I had a bootleg copy as soon as they were available. I even own the Wookiee storybook that I've had since I was a child. How much do I love Star Wars? I think it's clear. But if it wasn't clear enough, I'd like to take this moment to just outright brag about the fact that I am now part of the Star Wars official canon. And so is my lovely wife-to-be, Amanda Lund. Because, God bless these guys. Ben Acker and Ben Blacker, writers extraordinaire, creators of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, have a new young adult Star Wars novel called Join the Resistance, wherein there is a planet called Dirk Teal, which every one of you already knows is the home of the reptilian Sarin species. And on that planet is a commerce center now known in the canon of Star Wars, soon to be posted on Wikipedia. As Gorley Lund. 
That's how you know I have the authority to speak today on the Star Wars Holiday Special. It's been a show that's been in my sights for a long time. And in fact, I even said in the first episode of this very podcast that one day I'd like to get somebody from this Star Wars Holiday Special to find out, quote, what was going on there? It begins with 15 minutes or so of just Wookiees growling with no subtitles and having just a domestic comedy? I don't know. I've talked about this before on a really special episode of How Did This Get Made with Paul Shear, and I can't recommend that enough as the perfect companion piece for a one-two holiday Wookiee Star Wars punch for you and yours this holiday season. That's all there is to say, except for stay tuned after the interview for one more special visit from Starship One, the mysterious real person that did in fact audition for Star Wars Episode Eight, and we'll see if I can get any more information out of her about her experience trying out for a role in the next installment of the Star Wars franchise. All right, season's greetings, everyone. Here we go. The TV show, the Star Wars Holiday Special, the year 1978. The job, cameraman. The cameraman, Larry Hyder. Larry Hyder, I'm going to treat this interview in the context of one man's journey through perhaps the strangest and most bizarre piece of television in all of recorded history. First, how familiar were you with Star Wars in the first place? And were you going blind into this whole thing or did you have some kind of context? Uh, to be honest, I, I wasn't a big Star Wars fan at that point. Uh, I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. Uh, I was busy traveling all over. I don't even, not even sure I saw the Star Wars movie until after I, I did this uh, TV show. And were you aware of the phenomenon at all, even though you hadn't seen it? Or this was just kind of another job for you? Um, no, no, I, I was aware that it was a big deal. Uh-huh. You know, anything attached to George Lucas, you know, he's got to be something interesting in Spielberg and... So those guys, if they do something, you know, it tickles you. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to see this thing not only in the context of when it aired, but also when it was taped. What was the general feeling from the performers and technicians about this? Star Wars was sweeping the nation at this time, but there must have been some excitement. But were people aware that there was something slightly off about this production? Oh, no, no. We were all very, uh, very excited to get the call to do it. Uh, Smith Hamian Productions... Uh, put it together with Lucasfilms, and uh, they were hired because they were the biggest variety show format in the business, and they uh, they definitely uh, put on big shows. I mean, it was at the time of television where it wasn't concerts or one-offs. It was like one, one production song could take 18 hours, 20 hours to get it right, all the lighting, all the camera angles, get the, the right performance. It was very much uh, a very high-end uh, black tie kind of, of a production company. Uh, so going into it, we got a call. Yeah, we're doing this thing at uh, at uh, Warner Brothers, and it's going to be a big show. And you know, we want you to of course be there. So I was very looking forward to it. You yeah. had worked with them previously. I did. A I, of yeah, times. I started working with them in 1976, and during that period was kind of the golden age of variety television. So uh-huh. we were very busy. I was traveling literally all around the world doing shows in various locations. Wow, man. Yeah. What so, a life at the time. It huh? was, yeah. It was a different time. <laughs> yeah. uh, so were you pretty much shooting all of the scenes throughout this thing, or did you have uh, select moments or segments, or how did that work for you as a cameraman? Well, the uh, the idea going into it uh, – and. The, 
Smith Hemian, usually Dwight Hemian was the director of choice of that production company, but he, they were both hired as producers, and they, uh, they, the uh, people who were putting it together in Lucas uh, terms brought in David Okumba, who is a Canadian uh, documentary uh, director. Right, he this is someone he had gone to USC film school with, I think, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. And he was living in Montreal and no, nobody knew him. Uh, and of course, you come into a show with your best client not being the guy in charge makes you wonder, wow, what's, what's this about? But okay, <laughs> you know. So Dwight uh, stayed away a little bit. He stayed, you know, didn't get involved. He just wanted to be there and offer what he could. And, and David... Uh, uh, you know, we had these big production numbers where, uh, you know, the opening 10-minute sequence from the Wookiee house when... Yeah, this opening segment was pure Wookiee dialogue with no English language whatsoever, not even any subtitles. Yeah, and actually, uh, for most of it, we didn't even hear the Wookiee-ish stuff <laughs> because, you know, they were all in costume and they couldn't get a good sound quality with all the masks on and, you know, the Wookiee heads and everything else. So it was just kind of like, wow, it's almost like a silent film here. Yeah. Uh, but the overall, we thought we usually do things one camera at a time with that company. You know, you get the right camera in the right position for one part of it, and then you stop, and then you move things around and get the lighting right for the next part. So it was very much in, I, the idea was to do a multi-camera, like three-camera uh, shoot, uh, which and it helps you move faster through all the the, the things you need to kind of like you would do a, a live taping or a studio yeah, audience taping. Yeah, well, now it would be like. 20 cameras and <laughs> robos and everything else. But back then, multi-camera meant three or five meant the most. So David was used to shooting with one camera. And so he didn't come from the school of, well, you know, we'll get two cameras. And when the, you know, when the Wookiee turns around, we shoot it from the other way. Well, that, that wasn't. That wasn't the way the lighting director, uh, John Rook, uh, who was also uh, an, uh, just an incredible uh, lighting man, uh, uh, he didn't see it that way, you know, and Smith Hemming didn't see it that way. So it got to be a conflict. You know, it's like uh, David would want to take, uh, take a lot of time and do this one move and then stop and turn around and do everything else. Uh, but he wasn't very – his explanation of what he wanted wasn't good. I mean, working with, I don't think he worked with actors all that much in what he did uh, in his end. So that we kind of, got all this, we were all set to go and hey, let's go, we're going to really do something. And then we found ourselves sitting around for 10, 12 hours waiting for this one scene to be done. And that became a, a, an issue throughout the, the, I think we shot for like 10 days. Uh, uh, that started to be a problem with just a budget. You know. Did any of his footage, because he's eventually let go, right? Yes. Did any of his footage remain in the final Oh, thing? sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember all the the different parts of, of the show, um, but uh, whatever he did shoot, we, we were doing because it was, the set was in the stage. They were very big sets. Uh, so he, whatever he did, they, they wouldn't stop and, you know, take a, throw it out and bring in another director to do the same thing. Uh-huh. They just kind of... Uh, carried on from from when Steve came and Steve Bender. Uh, so uh, it didn't help the show at all to kind of have two different kind of feels to it. You know? Right. 
Um, I read something too about the set being basically the Wookiee house being a 360 degree set, but that was very difficult for lighting oh, and yeah, camera work. Yeah, and that's, that's always a problem. And, uh, and that con- concept uh, held things back too. You it know, just like, seems like every decision from the onset was sort of yeah, the wrong direction. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and Dwight Hemme and were not, they were like the. Sammy Davis Jr., Frank Sinatra, Shirley MacLaine people, and yeah. they didn't, I think, get it in terms of Star Wars. So they didn't, you know, they didn't know they could had, didn't have much to offer. And what's, what are the alternatives? You know, they just kind of have this guy wants to do it this way, so that's what we got to do. You know, <laughs> and nothing against David. I yeah, mean, he's, sure. he's I've never seen him since that time, but uh, I, I respected him, and uh, I, I thought that he. Uh, had an idea in his head of how he wanted to get it done, and that unfortunately it didn't work out that that was a good way to do it. I'm more than curious to think about what his finished version would have been if it would have been much different, or would we have would we be talking about it today? I mean, from from the script originally, we probably still would be talking about it. But. Yeah, I mean, the, the things we did towards the end were like the big ending went with all the uh, the Wookies are all on the mountaintop with all the. Oh yeah, the, the Life Day celebration. Yes, the Life Day celebration, that, which just that might have taken a few days ago, a couple lives to to shoot a <laughs> single camera style. You know, I had read too about that that there was literally no money in the budget for that set. Like they almost forgot about it. Yeah. Whereas one day someone, I don't know if it was a production designer, said, "What are we doing for the set on this?" And someone else goes. Oh well, we don't have any money left, and yeah. it was like an afterthought. And smoke, so just, lots of yeah, smoke. smoke, black void, <laughs> yeah, and robes, and then literally costumed all those Wookies in like store bought Don Post commercial Wookie masks. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I mean, they were all you should. They were had their bike back to the camera, most of them, except for you know the the main characters. So yeah, yeah. I mean, at that point, we all just wanted to get this done. You know? <laughs> We had gone from oh boy to oh no. <laughs> yeah, what was that like? Your emotional arc over something like that? Was there a lot of chatter between takes between you and the other camera person? A lot of eye rolling, maybe. Yeah, but yeah. you know, it's like when you're working with someone, you you want to try to help. And yeah. part of our frustration is we couldn't help. You know, <laughs> right. it's like we things were too far off kilter for us to just jump in and say, you know, I think maybe if you do this or do that, there wasn't you know, that space to do that. I, I myself, I just uh, – I had a, a camera on me. I had my an icon that I traveled with. And so I just concentrated on taking pictures for my own sense of having to done something with the production. Yeah, you know. we're going to take a look at those in, yeah. in a bit. Um, let's go through some of the specific segments in this uh, 90 minutes, over 90 minutes really without commercials. That's without commercials. Yeah, it was two-hour two broadcast hours. event. Uh-huh. And I say event in the same way that some natural disasters are. <laughs> um, so did, were you present? The one that always stuck out to me, and I'm not alone in this, is the Diane Carroll vision sequence that Chewie's father-in-law puts on. Is it his father-in-law or his natural father? Well, we'll get to the bottom of that later. <laughs> I think that's not important. He puts on this visualizer machine and she speaks to him in a very strange and erotic way. Mm-hmm. Were you present for the shooting? Oh, sure. And yeah. what was the what was the thinking in that? Was it ever spoken about? Um, you know, I think most of us, I, at least I felt that, wow, now here's something that we know how to do. You know, <laughs> yeah, we can, we can a, shoot a song, right, you know, yeah. that, that's pretty basic, you know, and she was beautiful. She yeah. had an amazing wardrobe. I mean, she that's was sure. just really 
awesomely beautiful. And uh, so it was eye candy for us. Yeah. So, yeah, it was like, oh, boy, now now we know how to do this. Great. <laughs> You're looking on the bright side because I think I would be going, what is the context of this? She's talking to a Wookiee. But now that I think because I've done some other research and I had read originally that according to co-writer Leonard Rips, Lucas told him that Han Solo was married to a Wookiee but that we – they couldn't mention that because it would be controversial. So to see the scene with Diane Carroll kind of very sensually romancing an elderly Wookiee <laughs> starts to make a lot of sense. And I'm wondering what Lucas's secret agenda might have been. <laughs> uh, I, I think his agenda at that point might have been to get some name talent yeah. in the show and it kind of turn it around to be a variety show a yeah. little bit. Yeah. You know, get out of the story a little. <laughs> Um, so how about the Jefferson Starship performance? That was probably something that was kind of up your alley. Yeah. Too, yeah. You know, I, I, I actually was pretty busy in that. So I, I didn't have a lot of picture taking during that part because I was, I was working a lot and doing that part of it. Uh, that was just, it was fun to have music on the stage, you know, and yeah. it was again, something that we kind of knew how to do, you know. How long all told was this shoot? I think it was 10 days and they were very long days. Yeah. Uh, it was it was like doing a movie, really, and uh, and it's not that we hated it; it's not at all. But uh, you get tired after a while, and yeah. you want to move forward. And it was just ponderous, you know. Right. It's like like walking in through mud. You know, like, I don't mean that in a bad way in mud, but sticky. You know, it's it like you just could not get forward very fast. Yeah. You know? I had read also there's this great oral history online called Dark Side and Oral History of the Star Wars Holiday Special that. The cantina scene specifically was very hot and the rest of the shoot and the Wookiees themselves could only go for about 45 minutes at a time before they needed oxygen. And yeah. There was some fainting happening. And That's that sort correct. Of thing. Ooh, that, that, that was the beginning of, of most of the, the real troubles I mean, outside of the, the opening family thing is that all these characters in the cantina, they were pretty much the same makeup and wardrobe and effects that came in the movie. Uh-huh. And some of them were actually, I believe, the actors who who were there oh, for no the kidding. movie. So they, you know, when they make the movie, they do it all in, in pieces, you know, and they give everybody a chance to you know, get their lines together or whatever. But the cantina, I mean, it was really hot because it was in a set with a lot of hot lights. The, the director of photography liked to light from the floor to give it a good look. So there's these big hot lamps standing there. Uh, you know, ten feet away from the characters, and they started to. One of them almost passed out. Oh boy! And so, just getting them hydrated and cooled down became a real long process for us to move forward with getting the scene shot. And plus, you've got B. Arthur and Harvey Corman in that yeah. scene. How were they handling? They it? were fantastic. Really? Oh, Harvey! Oh. Harvey was. Uh, he just laughed his way through the really? whole thing. Really, he's the best. Yeah, he, uh, I love yeah. Him. He was really uh, a champion. Uh, B was. Uh, B was. B. <laughs> I, I have other stories from other shows about B, but uh, she. Because you worked on the Golden Girls as well, right? Uh, I, I did a few episodes, okay. but I wasn't I wasn't a regular <laughs> player on it. But she was kind of known to be kind of uh, uh, difficult sometimes. You know, she has very strong uh, personality. Yeah, I think you say in your oral history segment that she was very, or she was not unlike her character Maud in the right, show. Right, right. It's yeah. very true. She was a controlling kind of person, um, so she she was not thrilled. You know, yeah. but again, Harry, uh, the whole process was made better by Harvey's, you know, it's like just really being fun. 
I would have loved to have been there. I would have loved to have met that man. I, I think he's brilliant. He, he actually poured, and I have pictures of it, he poured a glass of uh, whatever they were drinking at the bar in the canteen and just poured it right over his head, you know, uh, just for fun. Really? Because you know, yeah. he has that, that head mouth in the, the show itself that yeah. he sort of drinks from. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And so how about Art Carney? Art was great. He was, uh, he was um, you know, he's getting up in age at that point, and I don't think he really understood too much about what the Salt Big Deal was about. Yeah, I'm sure. But he was a consummate pro. I yeah. mean, he was there. He knew his lines. He knew what to do with it, you know. <laughs> and he had a great sense of humor, too. Really liked working with him. Really? Yeah. So let's talk about the, the big three from the Star Wars film themselves, uh, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, and Mark Hamill. Um, what was your experience like working with them? How much did they want to be there, didn't want to be there? Well, they uh, – uh, how can I say this? <laughs> uh, Harrison Ford had to be there. My understanding, contractually, he didn't have an option because it was in his contract that had the kind of promotional stuff with Star Wars. So uh, I think he was only there for a total of two days out of that whole time. And, and they had him once he was in um, his, his Millennium Falcon and they were doing some interior shots of him, you know, in the cockpit. And he, he was just really just wanted to get it done. Yeah. You know, he was he just wanted to he wanted everything to be ready, lit, ready to go. And just, he wanted to do it. Boom. And then goodbye. No disrespect to him. But I think that comes through in his performance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That might be his character's underlying motivation. But it works because he wants to get out of there because of the Empire too. You know? oh, yeah, yeah, right, right. We'll, we'll chalk it up to that. <laughs> uh, we'll get to Carrie Fisher in a second. Mark Hamill, was he a little bit more game? It seems, yes, maybe? yes, he was. Uh, and uh, he – although he too was going, what are we doing? You know, it's like – and I have some, some photos to support that too. Uh, it's like he uh, – he, he kind of had his hands in his pockets a lot, you know, yeah. going, what are we doing? And waiting, you know uh, – but he was a trooper. He he knew what to do, and uh, he did what you know was expected of him. So yeah. yeah. And now Carrie Fisher, God bless her. She looks like she might be. How how can I say this? Like recreationally sedated in a way <laughs> at times. Uh, that I can't speak. To yeah, that. No, I don't know. I, fair, I, mean, I they, won't ask you. To, the way but... they come out of their trailer is the way they come out of their trailer. <laughs> you know, all I can say is she did a good job on the set. Yeah. You know, she looked beautiful. Yeah, I mean, she was still. And now it's come out, of course, that she and, and Harrison might have had uh, been hooking up. Yeah, it seems during that time frame. Right. So, That's right. Yeah. I wonder if this was post uh, affair or well, during, yeah, or you uh, know, this might have been the first time since the film that That's they got right. back together. There could have been some real tension there on war. Yeah. yeah, life day. <laughs> yeah, uh, they. She did look beautiful. I I love that sort of seventies television cinematography where it's what would you call that? That soft light exposure mm-hmm. that they just yeah they it's kind of a, a filtered. Forgiving kind yeah. of approach, yeah. Yeah, which she wouldn't have even needed, but it makes yeah. her look all the more beautiful, too. But part of that, too, is that te- era of television technology uh, uh, was still in the in the early stages. And so nothing was really all that sharp compared to what you know, right, the cameras yeah. do now with all their 4K capabilities. So it's a different look, for sure, of anything done in that, that time frame. Do you have a preference for that kind of vintage look as opposed to today's high-definition uh, well, it's hard to say. You know, it's, it's the new technologies now, that, and this is probably boring stuff. But the cameras we work with now are very 
close to what they're using in the digital world of, of feature films. Right. And so what they do is just gather raw footage, and then it's got so much uh, d- depth to it that you can make it look whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the television days of the 70s and even into the 90s, it was a different thing where you had to service the camera that could just do this pretty much one kind of look. Uh, and again, I see John Rook, the lighting director, he, he, he knew how to make people look really, really good. Yeah. Mean, he, he was a very tasteful man. <laughs> he was a Brit, too, and he kind of like had a very good sense of British humor. And you know, the, his crew were always like very respectful, but also knew that you know, he was kind of pulling their leg a little bit too, sometimes. <laughs> so you wrap the production. How long is it from wrap to when it airs? It's not like a film, so it probably wasn't even that long. Huh? No, it was like two months, I think, or yeah. something like that. There, but it came up against – was it uh, – it was November 17th, and yeah, I'm not sure what it was on against that night, but I do know, unfortunately, the Jonestown Massacre was the next day, yeah. so it was, yeah, rough couple of days. Yeah, a lot, a lot of, I guess, hard to focus on a Star Wars television yeah. special and all that's going on. Did you watch it when it was broadcast? No, no. I, I, don't, I might not have even been in the country at that time, I don't know. You had yeah. to get out. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, so... You told me that you tracked it down later on a bootleg VHS copy off eBay, is that uh-huh. right? Yeah, yeah I, uh, I did get it. I wanted to get a copy of it from Smith Hamian, but they were uh, they said no, we can't really uh, do any copies for you because it's not our content. You know, it's, yeah. it's Lucas's. So, and he is notoriously tight gripped on yeah. that thing. Yeah. yeah, so I I just went on eBay and I found one uh, that was for sale in English uh, from somebody in Germany. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, so I. Like it took a week and there it was. And I got to say, it was like I, just getting through that first 10 minutes was so, so hard. It's a tough 10 minutes to start with. Yeah. 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 Did you get through that first 10 minutes? Uh, I did. I yeah. managed to – one time I think I managed to watch most of it. The one sitting <laughs> quite a feat. <laughs> I want to read some critical reactions from the people in the production themselves. Carrie Fisher said that she shows it at parties – Mainly at the end of the night when I want people to leave. <laughs> <laughs> David Hofstede, author of What Were They Thinking? The 100 Dumbest Events in Television History, ranked the holiday special at number one, calling it the worst two hours of television ever. That's a little harsh. It is harsh. Yeah. yeah. Um, Nathan Rabin uh, of the AV Club wrote, I'm convinced the special wasn't ultimately written and directed by a sentient bag of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that maybe if it had made like five years later, that might have been true. Yeah, yeah. It was more of a pacho, I Probably. Think. <laughs> that makes sense. And then finally, George Lucas himself disliked the special and reportedly said, if I had the time and a sledgehammer, I would track down every copy of that show and smash it. So <laughs> yeah, I've read that too, and I, yeah. I think he means it. Yeah, I think so too. But I have a real fondness for this thing. I think nobody's under any illusions that – they were making another Star Wars. It was a variety television show, and that is a format that I adore and love mm-hmm. and miss greatly, too. You're the one. No, oh, I'm not the only one. I have so many people that feel that way, too, and I feel like the the format is ripe for comeback. In fact, Maya Rudolph was experimenting with that format for specials for TV. And Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. I, a couple of years ago, I, I was invited to that, but I, I wasn't oh. available, but... I would love to see I would, that. I had my back. fingers crossed. I mean, I would love to get back into that format, you know, before my time here is done. But it would be great if they not only revived the format, but brought all the same crew technicians back. I, I swear, I was raised on the Barbara Mandrell show. I love that show so much. <laughs> 
So let me take a look at some of the photos that you have from your time sure. on there, if you don't mind. And oh, of I'll, course. I'll narrate what I'm seeing here a little bit. I, I kind of I, – I have like 200-some pictures. I did wow. a folders. Uh, I cut it down to like the, just like the best of the ones that are available. One is called uh, Cast and one is called Guest. Okay. Uh, and the uh, – I think I put Prime. Star Wars Holiday Special Cast. Is it that one? Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, – I will talk through some of these. Uh, a lot of them are from his private collection, so we won't necessarily see them on the web page for this episode, but some you might. Uh, I call it my vault. Your vault, yes. <laughs> the, uh, this is a, a real treat for me. I feel like I'm a member of an elite club. This, these are coveted pictures. Of well, the club of people who like Star Wars. So, yeah. There, there are, we are legion. <laughs> All right. Art Carney looking like he's working with an industrial sewing machine. Mm-hmm. I think that was part of that whole thing with Diane Carroll. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Here's a guy in a stormtrooper suit. Right. Oh, man, I would have died to have been that guy when I was a kid. Who are these people just hanging out on those, the Wookiee That's set? Uh, Gary Smith and Dwight Hemme, and, uh, and I have a kind of a series of those. And they're just – it seems like that's the perfect uh, way to look at what they – had to do with the show. Yeah. They're like, they're in a big empty space <laughs> just, and they're off by themselves and they're kind of like going, what do we do now? <laughs> they're sitting on the steps of the Wookiee living room. By the way, say what you will about this show. I would live in that Wookiee house in a heartbeat. It's an incredible <laughs> set. The smell, I, I don't think he'd pass the smell though. It's, really? Well, you know Wookiees. So. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's some just Imperial guards um, on break. That is a great picture when you get to see the Imperial guards just resting in their natural state. Oh, this is a great picture, too, of just two stormtroopers knocking at the that's, door. That's like, where they're bringing uh, – they're coming to, to take yeah, one of the Wookiees away. That's yeah. right. But it almost feels like they're missionaries who have come to pass out some leave behinds <laughs> and talk to you about the good news of the empire. <laughs> that's an incredible photo. I love that. Uh, Not oh, quite Jehovian. Wow. Now who – there's a picture that's of – That's the guy who played the uh, – oh, the main Wookiee. Uh, Amala? Yeah. he's That's the actor from the film as well. And oh, no. This is Chewbacca then? Yeah. And that's him with his head off uh, because of the, you know, just taking a break and getting oh, some air. Looks different. Yeah. Wow. Okay. He's uh, got the black cheeks just because uh keeps, I think there were some holes, some breathing yeah. holes. And so that, that, were, that made the effect look better. Now here's Art Carney posing with Mala the Wookiee. Right. That is a picture probably many people think. Would have never happened in time and space. <laughs> yeah, he had a good sense of humor about it. He really did. Oh, here's a great picture of Itchy, the elderly Wookiee, sitting down in his erotic vision chair. Yeah. Okay. Creepy. Yeah. <laughs> he, even the fellas looking on there. Yeah, he's, that's the guy. He's, they had like the guy in the center with the glasses. He's a special effects guy, and they had they had some way to manipulate some of his bodies, I guess, to move around or things. Oh, okay. That's even. Creepier to hear, I think. Um, all right. Oh, here are all the Wookiees out of their masks. That is an interesting picture. Yeah, it's like a family photo. Yeah. <laughs> Who's that there? That, uh, you know, I think, I'm pretty sure that is a very famous uh, agent. Oh. A Hollywood agent. He sure looks like yeah. it. Yeah. Wow. I, his I, shirt is I open can't remember his, his name offhand. Ankles. Uh, it's been a while since I looked at these, but uh, yeah, he was there that day. That one day, and so he made his presence felt. This is like one of the dancers up close in that like hologram sequence or something. See, right? I, isn't that the guy from Kiss? Uh, I think like Gene Simmons. I, I, oh my god! I wouldn't say that for sure, but I, oh. it was one of the Kiss guys. It might as well be. Wow, these are incredible. 
Here's Harvey Corman getting set up to do some cooking. Right. And that's David Okumba oh, okay. uh, there uh, with him. <laughs> that's a great picture of Harvey Corman as the like the Julia Child yes. space cook without his wig. <laughs> There's the Life Day celebration set. They managed to get some kind of little mountain. Right. That was uh, some uh, paper mache. <laughs> <laughs> Last minute mountain <laughs> coming up. R two D two. Are there any pictures of you in this? There's one with me and R two in there. Is it this one? Uh, no, that's oh. Sam. That was uh, Steve Bender, the director. Oh, okay. There's Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher with C three PO. So, were you in one of these cameras? That's like where you, you're seated or you're standing? No, I, that's a crane camera. That's uh, Wayne Orr. Uh, he was another colleague of mine who worked with uh, Smith Hemian all the time, and he was really one of the best guys at doing that particular kind of camera. Yeah. He was really very, very good. That's got to be you, right? That's me that's doing you. a selfie in oh, 1978. That's a great picture. Right? Oh, <laughs> that's great. I had a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's a picture of what. I know to be the Snaggletooth character from Star Wars <laughs> very operating good. a camera. That's Wayne again. He actually – it was his idea. He said, hey, Larry, it good. So he grabbed one of the heads from <laughs> you know, the, the wardrobe people and uh, he put it on his head and I took the picture. He loves it. I'm sure he had it blown up to like a poster size. <laughs> I would house. too. Are you kidding? <laughs> it would go above my bed. Um, all right, there's B. Arthur. That's great. Oh, there you are with RTTV. That's me. That's, yeah. Now, do you have a picture of that printed out anywhere and up no, on the wall? You know, it's a story about I, – I had a dark room uh, at that time frame uh, in a little studio, and I did a lot of black and white uh, enlargement, and these that's why I photos. shot these in black and white. Yeah. And I had some time off after this show, and I went into the dark room, and I spent like three days, and I, I printed out about 40 of the best pictures, and I put them together in a – in a little album that I wanted to give to Gary Smith and Dwight Hemme and as, you know, kind of like a memento of the show. Uh, and I just put them in a plain old, you know, Staples kind of folder. Yeah. And I, I took it to uh, another show that we were working on and we were doing a rap party from there. And I said, hey, Dwight, I got something to show you. And I gave it to him and he looked through it and he said, oh, this is amazing. I said, are these for us? And I said, yeah, you just, you know, enjoy it. And, uh, and they disappeared. I don't know what happened to them. I guess he put them down. I don't know if somebody just picked it up and threw it away. Oh, no. Or if somebody somewhere has these pictures and just kept them under wraps, which I I find hard to believe. Do you still have the negatives? Or maybe one of George Lucas's people has it and just waiting for me. (laughs) He's got So so that's the only time they were ever printed. I had these digitally scanned by a company that does negative to digital scanning now. Oh, Oh, that's No no prints uh, are anywhere else as far as I know. Now, this looks like a Steadicam. Was this an early that version a, of a Steadicam? That was like Series 1 television Steadicam, yeah. Did they shoot Steadicam on this production? I don't they, remember. They used it. Really? I mean, it, but it wasn't used like it is today where you're running around circles Yeah, and wouldn't, that stuff. Like The Shining or It anything. was just, just a, a method to, to get some interesting angles. Oh, interesting. Wow, these color ones are beautiful. The, like the saturation yeah, of the color. Yeah, there was a, a Kodachrome slides. I wish I had now, of course, used you know color instead of black and white because it Definitely would make it, you know, more of the realm. But these are great pictures. It's easy to see why you're a cameraman. I mean, if you oh, capture you. what in motion what you do in a still, that's really impressive. Thank you. Um, all right, for for to wrap this up, I want to go through some of your other credits. I sometimes like to do a thing where I will just name something that you've worked on, mm-hmm. and you can either say pass or tell us a little bit about it if <laughs> okay. something comes to mind. Okay, okay, sure. All right, American Idol. Uh, pass. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, Dancing with the Stars. Okay. Uh, yeah, I did Dancing with the Stars for about three and a half years. That's uh, that translates into seven seasons, I guess. So we did it twice a year. My stepmom would stop you and talk to you for hours about I'm this sure. if she were yeah. here. Yeah, that was our target audience. It was, <laughs> <laughs> was my stepmom. Yeah. <laughs> Women who like dancing, pretty much. It was pretty much all female audience at the time. Uh, and that was a great experience. Uh, the, the director uh, was a Brit who uh, used a method of every shot had a number and every beat had an, uh, a beat to it. So oh, there would be, wow. we were constantly being talked through the song with somebody in the background around one, two, three, two, two, three, four. Oh, like wow. Had, like the rhythm of the song? Yeah. Oh, and wow. then we had all our shots would be numbered, and sometimes they came pretty fast. It was very technically challenged. It wasn't uh, – for me, it wasn't a creative effort, more of a just uh, can I get through all this <laughs> yeah. in, in the right order live without making a mistake. And, like the and all the dancers themselves, the right? Way. And the – yeah, well, they, you know, they, they had more of a rehearsal time, yeah. I think, to get it right. And they were all, of course – Real pros. I yeah. mean, they're really good. But it was a good a good time on the show. I enjoyed doing it. Uh, after a while, I, I wanted to, uh, you know, go out and explore other opportunities. So I left that show to go on to other things. Ah. Stevie Wonder songs in the key of life and all star Grammy salute. Yeah, anything but Stevie is uh, is gold. It's got to be. Yeah. Uh, I, I've I've shot him dozens of times over the years. Uh, he's always. Uh, one who likes to put his his art out there. But the thing about Stevie is that uh, there was like regular time and overtime, and then there was Stevie time. And he's notorious for being late. And then <laughs> when he gets there and he gets the gear all set up, uh, you know, he sits down. And if it's not right, he leaves and they, they come in and they fix it and then he comes back. So it's it's – you know, it's a real process, but the end result, of course, is just gold. You know, so. uh, just a little something called the Academy Awards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've done uh, done I've done award shows uh, probably more than any other uh, format in my life. And yeah, because uh, you've got the the Grammys, the Golden Globes, uh, and yeah. you're an Emmy winner yourself. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been lucky a couple times. Wow. And uh, you know, award shows uh, again, uh, they're not creative per se but they're challenging and they're live and uh, you don't want to make any mistakes uh, you know, the old golden years of television usually didn't involve uh, this kind of uh, shot making with you know 15 16 cameras and uh, different angles and everything very critical fine-tuned you know yeah. so that's a challenge doing that's like i guess it's like being like a, a jet a pilot uh, in a world where you'd rather be the barn, barn sweeper kind of guy who does the bloops in oh, the sky. Oh, yeah, like you a know? barn stormer? <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> it's two different things, you know. Monty Python's Flying Circus live at Aspen. That was great. That was uh, that was a great little show. It was, it was the They do an annual comic uh, show uh, in Aspen, and we went up there for HBO to do a show, and it was a reunion of all the uh, – the Pythons, uh, except for uh, what was it? oh Graham, um, Graham, but uh, Graham was there. They had they had him the urn there, and oh, that's they did, right. They had I remember when they did this, yeah, yeah, and they you know they had they were kind of like in a just a, a talk show kind of scene, you know, everybody sitting around just talking, telling stories about all that, and Graham, of course, and uh, then of course there was a moment which we didn't rehearse where one of them. 
I forget who picks up the urn it, to pass it, and it, it opens, it falls to the ground, and the ashes are all over the carpet. Yeah. And we're going, oh no, it's, what are we going to do? And then when somebody else grabs a vacuum cleaner and, and vacuums it up, you know, it was hilarious. And we didn't know it was going to happen. That was definitely just something that they had for us, you know, to do. And the audience just ate it up. It was, it was just hilarious. It's incredible. Sinatra, 80 Years My Way. Yeah, yeah. So Frank, uh, Frank is one of my icons. Uh, I, I've got most of his music. I've read books about him. I've got, uh, I've got all the lanyards and the, the passes from the times I worked on his shows. I just love his music. Um, by 80, Frank you know, was, was definitely not in his form, uh, but uh, the, uh, I love the songs that, that he made famous, and so it was a, just a pleasure for me to work on that kind of a thing. Yeah. I did uh, when they did one of his last tours. He went out with uh, uh, Stephen Eady and and Dean Martin, and they went on a tour. And, and it was uh, it was unfortunate that by that time he was already using uh, teleprompters mm-hmm. uh, on the bottom, you know, set in the corners of the stage. He would do it in the round, like his main event kind of thing. But he had to read the lyrics to, to stay uh, stay up with it at all, and yeah. it, it was. It's kind of difficult yeah. to have to shoot it that way, but because yeah. well, I saw him at his prime. And, right. Well, if I had that many songs, I would probably need some reminding. Oh, that's too. true too. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of Sammy and uh, I'm mean, speaking of uh, Frank and Dean, Sammy Davis Jr.'s 60th anniversary celebration. Yeah, Sam, that was an amazing show. Uh, Sammy was uh, already uh, in, in the one of his, one of his last stages of, of lung cancer. Oh, wow. But he was there in the audience, and Gregory Hines did uh, a number, uh, a tap dance number, that dancing in Sammy's way that was pretty unique. And it was just a showstopper. It was so great. And it was so good that uh, Gregory invited Sammy to come up from the audience, and he was in the first row. And he wasn't supposed to, but he, he got up, and he went up there, and he danced with him, you know. And it was just uh, one of those moments, you know, that you're just glad you could have seen that. Yeah, and, you're at the front row of so many amazing things yeah, in television history. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I've had a really, uh, really lucky life in that sense. You know, I've seen a lot of things that I never would have imagined. Yeah, know? including my next one, the previously mentioned the Golden Girls. <laughs> the Golden Girls, uh, a sitcom, uh, yeah. like most sitcoms, you know, three or four cameras, and, you know, they have different sets with the bedroom, the, the living room, all that stuff. But uh, but that set was great to work on. It was They all knew their lines all the time. They cracked each other up during <laughs> rehearsal. They nailed it during the performance. It was no long days. You know, you get in, oh, that's do nice. the show, you're out. Yeah, real pros. Yeah. A show that I used to watch as a kid, Solid Gold. <laughs> Solid gold, uh, solid gold dancers too. Yeah, yeah. that was that, that was a that was at a time uh, of shooting rock and roll that uh, was fun. Really? It was <laughs> <laughs> your face lit up. Yeah, right? yeah. There's some good good memories there. You know, it was just uh, we that show like most of those shows. They were long days, you know, because you had different bands. And they'd have to come in and sound check and, and rehearse and oh, do right. all that. And, and uh, and it's great now. I think that uh, it's it's going to be legal in California to have marijuana licenses because uh, back then we were definitely violating that principle. You know, I think that was clear even to me, a six year old watching that show. <laughs> yeah. At the time. yeah, I don't know if it's in there, but uh, uh, Don Kirshen's rock concert uh, oh. was one of my uh, shows too, and 
that was started like 1973 through 1980, I guess. And that was great rock and roll. I mean, I shot everybody, you know, and they really? all came through and they all, it was like they'd come in and they'd do a full setup with their band. They do four or five songs, you know, with the audience right behind you getting into it. Uh, it's great. Any it's favorite great. act on that one that you remember? Uh, well, Musically, it's hard to remember them all, but they were all the, all the people who were making music at that time in rock and roll. Uh, but it was also the uh, – uh, I was there for the first Steve Martin uh, appearance in his white suit with the arrow in his head. No kidding. You know, that gag. And uh, he did it for the audience. Uh, and it was pretty late at night by that point. We were in between acts and uh, – Nobody got it. Really? You know, they're going, what is this? Who is this guy? It's like, get him off the stage. Let's turn on the music. <laughs> it was really, it didn't work, you know, but I, I thought it was great. I'd never seen anybody do any Well, you were high as a like kite that. at the time. Uh, not necessarily, <laughs> but uh, but it was very unique, you know. I, I wasn't stoned all of the time. No, I know. I'm just kidding. Just when it was convenient. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, this is Jeremy Van Cleve, who's yes. the uh, an old work colleague of mine, friend. Yeah. Yeah. Not and old at all. Not very young. <laughs> He's twelve. <laughs> um, he is who I have to thank for bringing Larry in today. So thank you very much, Jeremy. My pleasure, uh, Larry Hyder. Thank you so much for talking to me about this stuff. I really enjoyed your stories. Oh, it's my pleasure, Matt. It's really a, a pleasure to meet you too. And uh, I think you've got a great, great project going here. I thank want to put, find a space on this table where I can put my name. I don't know. Where. I'm going to hand you a sharpie right now okay. to do just that. And Jeremy, thank you very much for making this happen. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm proud to know him, and it's usually this time of year that that we get together for the holidays and. Uh, this time last year, he goes, i got to show you these photos from this um, Star Wars TV show. And I was like, what? You, and, did you ever know this about him? I, I, I went to, he invited me to tapings for things, but I didn't know he shot that show. And uh, when he mentioned that he had those photos and I started looking through them, um, it, it blew my mind. And then, of course, I'm a huge fan of your show. And oh. when you started doing the, the Star Wars trilogy episodes, yeah. I mean, this just seemed like an obvious idea. It, it certainly – I'm certainly glad that you thought of it. Jeremy was an old work colleague of mine at Disney. We should probably do an episode someday if I was there too, working at a theme park. But oh. you still work there, right? I still work there, yeah. It would be um, a tricky line. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just have you feed me information and I'll pass it off as if it's mine. That's true. That's okay. true. <laughs> well, it's good to see you again. And thanks again, Larry. Oh, my, my pleasure. As Zach Carney would have said, may the farce be with you. <laughs> thank you, Larry. And thank you, Jeremy. What a wonderful couple of guys. And what a wonderful tour through the wooden tree huts of Kashyyyk. And now, as promised, and since this is another Star Wars episode, probably the last for a while, let's check in again with a very secret, mysterious, and important guest, someone that goes by the pseudonym Starship One. She won't reveal her real name because, and this is true, she did in fact audition for Star Wars Episode Eight. And because that was such a top-secret, for-your-eyes-only audition, cannot reveal her true identity. And the first interview I had with her a while back was to discuss some of the particulars of the plot and the story, which ultimately she provided none of. And then I did a follow-up interview with her to try to get more out of her, and again, got nothing. And I think I'll try, for now at least, one last time to wrestle some information from her about her role that she auditioned for or the scene or Star Wars in general. Maybe we'll check in with Rogue One. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you once again Starship One. 
Well, I'm back here a third time talking to a very mysterious and special person, Starship One, who auditioned for Star Wars Episode Eight as yet unsubtitled. And I've been trying to get some information about the scene that she auditioned for, the character she was going to play. Starship One, before I ask you again what those things are, how are you today? I'm doing really well, Matt. Thank you. Things are good? Are you enjoying your holiday season? Yeah, the holidays are pretty good. Uh, I wish there was more snow. So you don't live in a snowy climate. Now that's something people can use to deduce, at least geographically, maybe where you live. Yeah, I mean, maybe I do, maybe I don't. I think that's, you know, you do do what you will with that information. What can you tell us about Star Wars Episode Eight? Having had some distance in time, maybe it feels safer now to come out with some information. Yeah, I mean, like I said before, Matt, I had to sign an NDA, so I can't really talk about too much stuff. Um, what I can tell you is that the audition was held in Marina Del Rey, that the sides were on red paper so they couldn't be photocopied. I think you told us both those things previously. Okay. Um, I was talking to a guy, and he, he was saying, um, you know, oh, doesn't it look great here? We were, we were in a planet. Yeah, okay, again, in a planet? On a planet. Well, were you just, like, on the Earth, like, dirt surface, or were you on, like, a paved surface or a metallic space surface? Um... You know, it didn't say in in the description, but it was basically it was just a really nice place. Yeah, still not really any new information. Yeah, but um, I can tell you that I auditioned, you know, for another movie, and you know, give you give you some info on that. Oh, what's that? Um, well, there's a there's a movie out right now. It's a music musicy type movie, and I'm I'm I auditioned for that. Are you talking about La La Land? Uh, yes. Yes. You auditioned for La La Land? Mm-hmm. For the uh, Emma Rosebutton, what's her name? <laughs> Emma Stone? Uh, yeah, Emma Stone, uh-huh. For that role? Yeah. Were you happy with how that movie turned out? Uh, I'll tell you this, Matt. I had some problems with it. Really? What was wrong with it? It it, it just wasn't what... I, basically, I would have brought something else to the table. <laughs> what would you, What would you have brought? Well, instead of, you know, some, some overcooked beets, I would have maybe put down an, a nice ambrosia salad. Uh, so I haven't seen the movie, so she... I just know me um, that I could have really taken it to a new place. But most people are saying that this is one of the best films of the year, and you don't feel that. Yeah, well, it's been a difficult year for movies. In what way? Back that up. Um. Well, I mean there haven't been a lot of good movies that have come out. <laughs> you're, you're not big on information, are you? I saw Sully. I didn't like that. Yeah. Did you see Arrival? I saw Arrival. Did you like that? It wasn't great. <laughs> what do you... What movies oh, did you Oh, you know like? what movie I saw that I loved? What? Captain Fantastic. Oh, with Viggo Mortensen? Yeah. I saw that the other day, and man, what a fun, fun little movie that is. So I think I'm now going to sort of use these interviews to drop clues as to your identity so someone that lives in a non-snowy climate that likely has a copy of captain fantastic or will in the future we know that much yep. again i don't know who you are no i know you're behind a baffle i know you were escorted in by armed men <laughs> um but seriously you should check out captain fantastic because it is fantastic well uh do you um 
have any plans to audition for anything in the future? Um, yeah, I've got a couple auditions coming up. It's pilot season. Um, so I'm going to definitely be hitting the streets with, you know, my best, my best shoes on trying to win those roles from the other girls. Hitting the streets with your best shoes on. Yeah. Okay. Is that industry speak? I think so. And the circles I'm, I'm used to being part of. Okay, well, this has been a great interview. Thank yeah. you. I was also asked to be in an Ariana Grande music video yesterday. So it was Amanda. Can you talk about what, it, what you have to do in that? The breakdown said that you have to wear pasties and uh, wear underwear, and it would be a, a implied nudity. But so not like Vegas stripper pasties with tassels, like nudie pasties. Right, where you could just be like pushed up against a wall. Right. Well, I, I also got a Facebook message, direct Facebook message, and I said, you know what, buddy, um, take off the nudity and I'm your girl. But So what came of that? Any response? Uh, well, my, my manager said it, it, it was a pass. Oh. And, you know, I said, okay. And, you know, hopefully next time they'll want women fully clothed. Right. Because I'd love to dance around in a, in a fun dress or something. Like in La La Land? Well, I didn't audition for La La Land. You didn't? No. Why did you say you did? Well, just because I have some thoughts on it, but I did audition for that Reese Witherspoon movie that's real. That's real. But you could have told me your thoughts on La La Land without lying about auditioning for it. Did you really audition for episode eight? Yes. I auditioned for episode eight, the new Reese Witherspoon movie, but I did not audition for La La Land, though I would have liked to, and I do believe I would have brought something cool to the table. Well, it's certainly been wonderful to talk to you one more time. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you. And um, anything you want to leave us with, Star Wars related? Um, may Christmas be with you. Oh, God. Well, thank you very much, Julie. No, Matt! Well, that's it for this episode of I Was There Too, and that's it for this year of I Was There Too. Thank you to Starship One, Larry Hyder, Jeremy Van Cleve, and all my guests this year. And most importantly to you, the listeners, for making this a wonderful year of movie talk and episodes. I hope you guys have a wonderful holiday. And as ever, if you can connect me to a great guest for this show, email me. I won't get in any other way. Email me at IWasThere2Pod at gmail.com. Otherwise, you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Gorley and Instagram at Matt Gorley and Letterboxd at Matt Gorley or on Twitter at IWasThere2. Thanks, everybody. Merry Christmas. And pod bless us, everyone. Hello, I'm Chris Gethard, and here with me is dream analysis expert... Gary Richardson. And we are here to give you a taste of a brand new podcast called In Your Dreams, presented exclusively by the fine folks at Casper. We listen to the wildest, weirdest dreams submitted to us by you, our listeners. And we do our best to figure out just what those dreams could possibly mean. I look over the side of my bunk bed, and there are Huey Lewis in the news. You're saying this person might have interests in style and fashion specifically. You can tell that from that voicemail. 99% certainty. Plus, we'll be joined by some very special guests. The word mortality comes to mind. Mortality? Blood. Bloodtality. Subscribe to In Your Dreams right now on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Good night. This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Adam Sachs, and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.